Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. The F1 schedule is heating up. Will you go with the O, Reliable, and Max Verstappen? Or take your chance with a potential surprise. Download the app in Ontario. Use the QR code you see at the bottom of your screen somewhere. Or head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex, everyone. I'm Tim Harini. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write a review. Really helps us grow the show. You can follow me on social media at Tim Harini. And today, we're just going to go over some F1 odds and ends. And we'll start with Daniel Ricciardo. As there were some reports that came out last week that Daniel Ricciardo would replace or could replace... Nick DeVries at AlphaTauri. So let's kind of backtrack a little bit here as to as to what DR has been doing uh, since he's been out of Formula One. So he's been doing a lot of marketing and activations for Red Bull Racing. He's also been doing a load of simulator work for them as well. And he's also been doing reserve driver duties for both Red Bull Racing and at times AlphaTauri as well. Now, he will also be taking part in some Pirelli tire tests, uh, one of them coming uh, following the British Grand Prix in July at Silverstone, then again in September after the Italian Grand Prix, which happens in Monza, not the one that happens in Imola, which is this week. Now, he's only going to be doing reserve driver duties for about eight races, so I've been told, uh, for this season. And as I spoke about in a TikTok that was published on the SDPN TikTok page last week, Ricardo did have a seat fitting at AlphaTauri, but some reports suggested that he had had that done last week when, in fact... He did that seat fitting before we came into the Miami Grand Prix. Now, the reason he had a seat fitting at the team is possibly because of his reserve driver duties that he will be doing for AlphaTauri. And I did speak with Daniel during the Miami Grand Prix weekend. And, you know, he even told me that, you know, if he comes back to F1, he wants to be with a competitive Team And now, granted, it's pretty full at the front of the field, and that's kind of where he, he wants to be. He doesn't want to be in a team that's further at the back, and I can understand, I can understand that. As for DeVries, if we take a look at some of his finishes to date, 14th in Bahrain, 14th at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Uh, he crashed out in Australia and Baku. And he was 18th in Miami. Also had contacts in that race as well, if I'm not mistaken. But he has been truly outpaced for most of the season by Yuki Sonoda, who has been performing really well. And Sonoda also contract year for him at the team. And it's been suggested that... Helmut Marco may be growing impatient with DeVries and could possibly be expecting better results considering the amount of experience that he has. 
As for Helmut Marco, those of you who don't know, he basically runs and controls the young driver division, has brought a lot of talent into Formula One through the Red Bull Racing uh, program. Now, DeVries wasn't Marco's first choice to put in the car for this season. That goes to Colton Herta. And Herta, however, not enough super license points to come into Formula One. Uh, that's because, you know, the FIA and how they grant super license points and which racing series gets which points. You know, IndyCar doesn't get very many, and it's something we've discussed on this show before in the past that, you know, they probably should. And that's a uh, argument for another day. Friends Tost, who's the team principal at AlphaTauri, did mention to us that it, it takes rookies time. And I agree with that statement. I mean, sometimes it takes two to three years to see what you really have. And to really understand the tire and to really understand a team's, what's the word I want to use, processes for setting up a car. What can you set up on the car? How can you set that up? You have so many different people you're working with throughout a season. And so for a rookie, that can be very daunting and almost like you're drinking through a fire hose. But again, the experience that DeVries does have is quite a lot. He's not a normal rookie, if we take a look at this, and has more experience, arguably, in F1 than the other two rookies uh, that are currently on the grid in Oscar Piastri and Logan Sargent. And I could see the team giving DeVries the next... I don't know, three races to really prove himself before considering switching him out. Now, the next three rounds are Imola, Monaco, and Spain. Those are all tracks that DeVries knows and knows quite well. He has raced on those tracks in a few different racing series. Now, at the end of the day, the toss-up, I think, for replacing... Nick DeVries, if that ever were to happen mid-season. I think that toss-up would be between having Daniel Ricciardo back at his former team. It would give Red Bull Racing a better idea if the old Ricciardo was still in there. And it would also do well on the marketing side for AlphaTauri. Now, on Ricardo's side, this could go either way. For Ricardo, it could go the way of outperforming Yuki Tsunoda consistently, consistently beating him, showing good pace, which would then put you back on top team's radar as, hey, this guy, this guy still got it. And we should really consider having him in our car. Now on the flip side of that, if Ricardo were to ever get into the AlphaTauri mid-season or at the end of the season or next year even, and let's say Yuki Tsunoda outperforms him, that's not going to go well for Daniel Ricardo, And that's not going to go well for Daniel Ricardo trying to get back into Formula 1 with a very competitive ride. 
Because at the end of the day, when you take time off from Formula One, it's never always that easy to just get back in and be competitive again. Let's take a look at Fernando Alonso. When he came back into Formula One, his teammate was Esteban Ocon, and it took Fernando to, to some time to get back up to speed and get back into the swing of things. And it ended up working really well for him. Granted, he's an exceptional talent. And I also think Dan Ricardo is a pretty great talent as well. However, Red Bull Racing also has their junior drivers. And one in particular that, that I look at and Liam Lawson, who is currently competing in Super Formula. And he is a driver who they have sunk quite a bit of money into. And I would assume that they would most likely want him taking that drive and seeing, you know, what they actually have there in Liam Lawson. Now, all of this at the moment is complete speculation. And like I had said, I can see them giving Nick DeVries a few more races and seeing how he does when they visit tracks that he really does know. Because if we go through it, he doesn't really know the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And he doesn't really know the Australian Grand Prix track. Granted, he does know Baku. He doesn't really know the Miami Grand Prix track either. So, for rookies coming into Formula 1 and jumping onto new tracks and also trying to learn a new team and tires and systems, and what you can do with the car. All that takes a lot of time. It just it just does. And the fact of the matter is the AlphaTauri car is not a very good car either, so trying to figure out how to make it work for you. And I'm not trying to make excuses here but for DeVries, but at the end of the day, I just think he needs a bit of time. And there's going to be some upgrades coming for the AlphaTauri in Emila. I believe a new floor for this weekend for that car and that's a big upgrade so I think they're just going to give this a bit more time before starting to make decisions let's talk about uh, Michael Andretti and Andretti's commitment for getting into to F1 because it was um, was an interesting topic last week as well so the the deadline for applications are are due on this day of recording Monday May 15th now if we go back to February the FIA opened their application process for parties looking to join Formula One for 2025 2026 so this being new teams coming to the grid having new teams on the grid for f1 races currently there are only 10 and this is an argument that i've had with multiple people on multiple different occasions that this grid should be at this moment in time way bigger than 20 cars on a grid but there's a lot that goes into all this it's not that easy you can't just snap your fingers and have a formula one team on the grid a legit f1 team so when i spoke with michael about this i believe it was back in 
February, had his press conference on it with the partnership announcement with um, GM and, and Cadillac and entering a team into into F1. He informed us that you know he had already begun the process of building out his Formula One team, speaking with engineers, looking at different ways of having a manufacturing base, not only in America, but also in um, Europe as well. We have to remember that this is, they want this to be an American team. And so for that, you kind of have to have your, your base camp, your headquarters, so to speak, in the country of operation. So for Andretti wanting to be a full American team, it's got to be in America for the most part. Now, like I'd mentioned, the Andretti General Motors Cadillac branding, that's, that's not Cadillac coming in and making power units for the team. That's that's more along the lines of a almost a branding exercise. I'm sure Cadillac is and GM are going to have to work on some sides of, of this. And we'll have to wait and see what all those sides are. But I'm sure they'll be putting something into the team for sure, aside from just uh, money expenditures. Now, the FIA will be looking at making their decisions on applications by June 30th. And Formula One, at this moment, is is, uh, limited to maximum 12 teams. And a lot of that has to do with the Concord Agreement that was signed between the teams and governing bodies, etc., and if I remember correctly, the last time F1 had 12 teams on the grid, I believe it was 2012. So it would be great to have Andretti and Cadillac on the grid, I think. And I spoke about this with you know, other team principals you know, in the past, and they all say the same thing about making sure that... Any new entrant brings value to the sport. So both the, the medium and the long-term future of the sport. And so we have to wonder, what does and- Andretti bring? And I think they bring, me personally, I think they bring a, a lot of value uh, to Formula One, especially in the, the U.S. market. The Andretti name alone is synonymous with racing and motorsports and having that at your disposal i think in the u.s market is huge and the trajectory that formula one has gone in it would make it even bigger for them in that market and also in terms of activation can they do more in the united states market i believe they can by having a home operations there there is much more things you can do for activation uh, on the grounds of value brought to Formula One. And I think it's great that we're actually able to have this conversation about new teams coming into into Formula One. Like I said earlier, I think it's, it's uh, desperation time in terms of people wanting to get into Formula One and wanting to get a team onto the grid. 
I think this team will also have to be able to to stand on its own two feet. And I think they need to be really committed to to the sport and not just be in it to make a quick buck and then fold a non-competitive team like we've seen with other teams in the past. And I think that's really important for, for F1. I think you need to make sure that any team that wants to come into Formula One has to be able to stick around for the long-term future, has to stand on their own two feet, has to bring value, and has to be competitive. And knowing the Andretti Racing Group as I do, I can see them ticking all of those boxes. Really can. And I think they'd be extremely competitive in Formula One eventually. Now, as for the money side of things. So the anti-dilution fee that teams also agreed upon a few years ago. So an anti-dilution fund, you can look at it like uh, an expansion fee in your major North American sports. So your NBA, your MLB, your NHL. So an expansion fee for the Seattle Kraken. We'll use that as an example. I think it was about a hundred and so sorry. I think it was about a six hundred and six hundred and fifty million dollars. I believe their their expansion fee was for the Seattle Kraken. Now currently in F one, their anti dilution fee is two hundred million. Now at this current time. In this market, where Formula One is at, it is one of the biggest and fastest growing sports in the world. The numbers for the sports uh, every year have been going through the roof. And so then you have to look at bringing a new team in and taking a look at is $200 million of an anti-dilution fee enough? Now, the teams don't want their prize money diluted. So you add another team, you add an 11th team, you are now taking money away from the top teams. You bring in $200 million, yes, but that $200 million is only going to be able to be spread out only for a number of years, maybe two. But let's say you introduce something $600 million, which is a number I've heard thrown around. I mean, does that make sense? And I I think it does. Yeah, I, I really do. I think that these teams shouldn't have, you know, their prize money diluted. The sport is on rapid growth. And I think they should be getting more money. Now, there is a need for more cars on the grid. So we can get more drivers onto the grid we can get more stories deeper storylines and just have it as a very rich sport for on the media side content right it's really important and i also like the fact that 
when we get F2 drivers who are really good, they're not sitting on the sidelines like Oscar Piastri was for, you know, a full year. All right, they're able to, as soon as they get out of F2, or as soon as they are done with IndyCar and have their super license points, they can jump right into Formula One. They don't have to wait around. And so by having more seats, that gives more opportunity. I mean, look at Felipe Drogovic. I mean, F2 champion, and he's uh, sitting on the sidelines at the moment. So who would Andretti's engine supplier be? Because I had mentioned at the top that the the GM Cadillac is, is more of a branding exercise than it is a, a full engine um, supplier sort of deal. And I think most likely that would have to be Alpine. I really I really do think that that Alpine would probably be their their engine supplier. I mean there's there could be others. I you could look at say I mean maybe Honda, which is a conversation we'll get to in a, in a minute, but you could look at Honda and say hey, they're they're technically making engines for Red Bull even though they're branded as Red Bull powertrains. But at the same time, they've also registered for the 2026 season. And from from my understanding, Andretti's trying to get in to Formula 1 for 2025. As for Honda for that 2026 um engine regulations in Formula 1 so there were a few reports circulating about Honda, you know, possibly linking up with Aston Martin. But let's go back to the beginning. Now, at the end of 2021, you know, Honda decided to quit F1. But since quitting F1, you know, they've they've walked that back because of F1's obviously their rapid rise. And Red Bull being just so dominant. And I think, you know, having this RBR, you know, it's, it's almost like a badging sort of purpose where Honda gets their sticker on the side of the car and they get that marketing exposure. As for Red Bull, you know, you know they've had a few different engine partners over the years that they have that they have went over the years since they've been in Formula One. And they've since created their own powertrains division. It's called Red Bull Powertrains. And they bought up the Honda IP. Red Bull are still using Honda power units, but they're branded as the Red Bull Powertrains, like I'd said previously. And that's gonna last up until 2025. In which time, 2026, new engine regulations come online. Big part of that is having more battery into the, the V6 turbo. Another part of it is doing away with the MGUH, which is a very expensive and complicated component on the power unit side, where they will still have the MGUK, which is motor generator unit kinetic. Now, Honda's registered as an engine provider for the 2026 season. 
And for the 2026 season on the Red Bull side, well, they've made a deal with Ford, and they did that and announced it during their car launch before the start of this season. As for Aston Martin, currently, they're, they're a Mercedes customer. So what we mean by that when we say they're a Mercedes customer, that means they buy their engines, gearbox, and rear suspension from them. So they have to develop their car around those items, which at the end of the day can hinder a team's aero philosophy. So when these teams go to build their race car and Mercedes gives them the specs of the size of the engine, the diameters, dimensions, Aston Martin kind of has to look at their aero philosophy and say, Hey, is this thing going to fit? Like, we need to start making some tweaks here. But if we're making tweaks here, that's going to affect us and make us a little slower on this side over here on this component. Same with the suspension. We've seen Red Bull and all of the different tricks they've been able to do with their suspension for this season. It's been absolutely incredible. So if Mercedes does something different with their suspension and that doesn't really line up for what Aston Martin wants to do in the rear end of their car. And so there's a lot of complexities that go into all this. So I was with Aston Martin technical director Dan Fallows during the Miami Grand Prix. And we asked him about the Aston Martin Mercedes partnership. And he'd expressed that, you know, he was happy with the partnership. And I just think there may come a time when a customer team just simply outgrows and becomes bigger, a bigger team, a, a bigger team than the one they are doing business with. And they're going to have their own philosophies and thoughts and the way they want the race car to go and what the what the team who provides them the equipment is, is doing with their stuff, that's not really going to align with what they want to do and the direction that they want to go in. And I think that could really, that could really limit their performance. But that's not what's happening down at Aston Martin. So what they do and what they get from Mercedes and how they use it currently, that doesn't affect what the team wants to achieve. And if you're Aston Martin, that's great. That is an that's an incredible thing to have because you don't need to worry about you know building those parts, building those power units, building those suspension parts, building a full gearbox, gearbox casing. You don't need to worry about any of that stuff. So I think if Honda were to get involved with Aston Martin, it would it would most likely, I think, have to be a works deal. It would have to, it would have to be, I think. Which means, you know, they could most likely have to stop getting Aston Martin, I mean, could most likely have to stop getting the components from Mercedes. But then I wonder, does that set them back? And if so, how long would it would it set a team back? And at the same time, there is an issue with Fernando Alonso. The two-time F1 champion, he did have a falling out with Honda. We all remember the, the GP2 uh, quote from when he was racing. And now, will he still be racing come 2026? I doubt it. 
It could happen, though, but I doubt it. I, I feel like he has a few really good years left in him, but I doubt he'll be at the team come 2026, and I wonder how that, if he is, how that relationship would affect Honda because of what had happened between himself and Honda in the past. And then there's the, the road car division of the Aston Martin side, which I find, like, really quite fascinating. And about their engines and building out that car and that road car division. And I wonder, you know, how you know that may work. What could that actually you know look like and i wonder if honda could uh, maybe get involved and maybe help them a bit on the engine side with building engines for the aston martin i don't know I, i'm always curious to see what what these what when when auto manufacturers come into into formula one this would be an interesting case as to well what happens with that team's road car division I'm always curious of that because a lot of the technology that we have in Formula One, well, that bleeds down into our road cars and what we have out on the streets. And, you know, there's a lot of tech that data that, you know, these teams and auto manufacturers get from being in Formula One. And so those are just a few things that were on the top of my head today that I want to come on and, uh, and, and talk about. We will be back. Um, before the start of the Imola Grand Prix, it's got a really long name. If you haven't seen it yet, you got to go check it out. I can't say the whole thing on here because it would just wouldn't be pretty. <laughs> um, but if you have any questions in lead up to the F1 race this weekend, please don't be afraid to hit me up on social media at Tim Haraney. You've been listening to Nailing the Apex. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write a review as it really helps us grow the show. And we'll talk to you all later.